You're listening to the Nassau Bay Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that seeks to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus in order to make disciples who serve their community and spread the gospel to the nations. If you would open your Bible to uh, maybe a strange passage for you, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'll give you a minute to go to the table of contents and find that. And then we're also going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. As you're turning there, uh, as we continue in this series of fresh starts, I just want to review real quick what we've already looked at. The last Sunday in December, we looked at what it meant to abide in Jesus. And with each one of these, I'm going to ask you again, like I did uh, earlier, not to answer out loud, but how are you doing? Are you abiding well in Christ? And second is, we talked about prayer last week. How are you doing there? Are you spending time with the Lord in prayer? Uh, How is your fasting going if you're fasting from something? And is it making a difference in your life? You say, well, maybe not yet. Well, that's okay. It will, as God continues to work in your life and create these disciplines there. Now, this morning, we come to the one that everybody loves, and that's give. And so I know already a switch, and some people just already switched off, Uh, or you turn to another channel as we talk about the subject of give, but really, we shouldn't. We think about what it means to give. We sang about it this morning. Well, many of the songs we, we sang this morning pointed to the subject of giving, whether it's giving of our life. We're giving of our treasures, giving of our time, uh, giving of the things that are important to us, whether it's giving of our knowledge that we give to the Lord. And we often refer to this subject of giving as stewardship. Now, that's kind of the nice way to get by with it. When you say stewardship, it's less painful, right? And so why do churches, some people say, why do churches talk so much about money? Well, stewardship is more than money, right? Stewardship is about the stewardship of our, our time, the stewardship of our, our talents, our giftings, the stewardship of our service unto the Lord. But a steward in the scripture is simply a manager, somebody who manages. They don't own, they manage. And so we need to understand that we can talk about our finances, our position, our possessions, our time, our gifts, our abilities. Did you know, even, even the gospel itself, the mystery of the gospel, Paul said to the church at Corinth in chapter four of first Corinthians, that we should be stewards, good stewards of the mystery of the gospel. So we are to be managers of this message that changes lives. We should be stewards of even the message itself. However, church attendees and those outside the church, they don't mind you talking about other things. They don't mind you talking about possessions or time or gifts or even even the gospel. When we start talking about money, people get a little bit uneasy. But just a few facts for you. In the Bible, there's 500 references to faith, over 500 references to prayer, but there's over 2,000 references to money and possessions. 16 of the 38 parables in the Gospels deal with treasures or money. Jesus taught more about money and possessions than he did about 
heaven and hell combined. One of every ten verses in the Gospels will speak to or deal with money or possessions. So let's just take away the myth that we're not supposed to talk about money in church. Because Jesus talked about it. It is important. And why? I'm glad you asked. Because in Matthew chapter 6, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Our investment should be in heaven, eternal things. Then Jesus makes this statement, which I want you to remember throughout this message this morning and we come to the application at the end. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why this subject was so important. That's why this subject came up so many times in the New Testament. Now, let me share with you before we go any further, everything you own, everything I own, or we think we own, has an expiration date on it. You realize that? Everything you possess has an expiration date. Because one day, somebody else is going to own everything you have right now. Somebody else is going to be the manager of what you have right now, whether it be your house, whether it be your finances, whether it be the clothes on your back, whether it be the furniture in your house, whether it be all the little knickknacks on your shelf, somebody else is going to own that, not you, not me. And so everything we possess has an expiration date on it. There is a quote, one of my, my favorite quotes from one of my spiritual heroes as we, as we think about this, Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to the Aka Indians, who was martyred by the very people he went to reach. This quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say it again. He is no fool who, gain, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the way we should look at life. That's the way we should look at our possessions. That's the way we should pursue the will of God. It's understanding what we give is so important. And God will use it for His glory. As we look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter, chapter 7, Jesus reminds us we are to invest in things that are eternal. Invest in things that are eternal. Steward the things that are not. Out of the things that I mentioned earlier, let's just be honest this morning, the one we struggle with the most is finances. This is one of the most neglected areas of our own discipleship and sanctification. Folks, hear me. If we or if you or I, or if we're going to grow as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to give attention to this area in our life. You can't just focus on Bible study and prayer. And even evangelism. But we need to understand that stewardship is another discipline in our life that we have to give attention to. It's an area of spiritual discipline. Unfortunately, for many people, many people in the pews, it's the last frontier. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to pursue it because it causes them to make some decisions. 
How many of you heard the expression have even said it? Oh, I just want to be closer to God. I just want to know God more. Okay, Jesus tells us that there's a heart issue. As we examine our own hearts, let's just do a little exam real quick. I already asked you some of these questions. How are we doing when we, in our abiding in Christ? Okay, so well, I'm doing pretty good. I've improved a little bit. Are we growing in our Bible study, in our, our Bible intake? Are we reading the Bible more? Are we studying the Bible more than we did last year? Okay, check. What about our prayer life? Oh, I'm spending more time in prayer. What about in serving? Are we doing a better job when it comes to using the gifts, stewarding the gifts of service and gifts of the spiritual gifts God has given us to serve him? What do we have when it comes to sharing the gospel? Are we doing a better job at sharing the gospel? These are all heart issues. Are we actively sharing the gospel and then making disciples, obeying the, the, the great commission, making disciples? Are we doing better in that area? You say, well, I, I'm doing pretty good in all those. All right, here's the last one. Let's take out our checkbook. How are we doing in that area? You say, well, well that, that's, that's a little different. You see, folks, you want more of God? You want more of God than where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be also. We have to look at our hearts. Not only should we be disciplined to practice biblical stewardship, and just like the other areas, but hear me, we should be growing in those areas. We should not become satisfied with where I'm at. Oh, I give my certain percentage. I've been doing it for 30 years. Well, you're not growing if you've been doing it for 30 years. That means you're stagnant. That means you're stationary. There's no growth. We should be growing in that area as well as other areas. This morning, I, I want us to think about this subject of giving in the terms of a word that maybe you've not associated with giving, and that is grace. I want us to think this morning about the subject of giving in terms of being grace givers. What is grace? Grace means gift. It's God freely giving to us salvation, eternal life. Jesus, the greatest giver of all, what did he say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Quoted in Acts 20, verse 35. And so we see this is something we need to be growing in. Now, the context this morning of the passage we're going to look at in Corinthians, which we'll get to in a moment. Let me share the context with you because this is important. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Remember, the first letter Paul wrote was a letter to spank them, right? He spanked them. The second letter is a little more calmer, a little more encouraging, a little more uh, of teaching. When we get to chapter 8 and 9, 8 and 9 speak to the subject of an offering. An offering that was being made and gathered to give to the church and the believers in Jerusalem. You say, why Jerusalem? Because think about it. The church in Jerusalem was struggling. They were made up primarily of pilgrims who had traveled and heard the gospel there and stayed in Jerusalem. It was also, they were under the persecution of the Roman Empire. Also the persecution of their own people. And so there was a great need, whatever the need was, it was great. And so there was an encouragement to take this offering there in Macedonia, but also in Corinth. And so chapter 8 and 9 speak to this offering that was started by the churches in Macedonia. 
Who are the churches in Macedonia? That is the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, the church in Berea, the believers in those areas began to take up offerings. Now keep in mind, even those three areas, they were facing great persecution. They were being ravaged by the Roman government as they would come through and take from them. They were also being attacked by the Judaizers, as we learned, as we we studied in, in Galatians. But this offering was being collected there in Macedonia in those churches. And they had started it earlier. In fact, in the last uh, part of the last chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this offering. And so Paul is addressing the issues related to this offering to the church at Corinth that was not being really nice. They had started the offering apparently a year before, but Paul is saying, hey, you started it, it's time to finish it. And so Paul is encouraging them and talking to them about this subject of giving and specifically to this offering. As we think about this, this subject of giving, I want us to look at another starting point. I want us to think this morning that we as a people, that we become not just givers, not just tithers, as some people would say, tithers, not tithers, but some people say, well, I want to be a tither, but that we focus on what it means to be grace givers, that our giving represents the grace of God in our life, that we give out of gratitude for what God has done for us. And so to begin with, the first thing we need to look at, the first principle, and we're going to rush through these pretty quick, is the one found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now this morning, as, as I prayed, I quoted part of, this, part of this prayer because it begins with the fact that we should recognize that God owns everything. He owns it all. David, King David, when he's getting ready to, to relinquish his, his throne and his son Solomon is going to take over and become king, they're talking about the temple. In the first part of 1 first, of first Chronicles 29, David is, is explaining the offering, explaining what he's doing, and he, he even gives himself as an example. He's saying, look, I'm not asking you to do anything I've not already done. Here's what I have given. Here, here's what the others have given, what the elders here have given. Here's what has taken place. And then... We move down to his prayer. As David prays in the assembly of the believers, listen to what David says. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So if everything that is, that is in the heavens and everything that is in the earth belongs to God, what does that encompass? Everything. Smart. You are good this morning, class. Everything belongs to the Lord. We find in Psalm 24, in verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to the Lord. We find also in Job chapter 40, in verse 11, there 
The, the scripture tells us in 40, I'm sorry, 41 verse 11. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? This is God speaking. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. So let's, before we go any further this morning, let's come to the agreement that what scripture says is true, that everything belongs to God. You and I own nothing. Now, I know that's hard. It's hard for us Americans to accept is that we don't own anything. Even the land we live on is not ours. It all belongs to God. We cannot get any further in these principles until we come to the fact that God owns it all, folks. You and I own nothing. And what we do steward one day is going to belong to somebody else that they will steward as well. You see, stewardship just simply defines practical obedience and the administration of everything that God has put under our control. It's just the practical administration of those things. Faithful stewardship means that we fully acknowledge that we are not our own, but we ourselves belong to who? We've been bought with a price. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We belong to God. Our life is not our own, but it belongs to God. We cannot move to principle number two until that's settled in our hearts this morning, is that God owns it all. This is not your church. This is not your building. Those are not your pews. They belong to God. That car out there on the parking lot doesn't belong to you or the bank. It belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. Principle number two is where we look into our passage in 2 Corinthians. So turn over there. I'll give you a moment to get there. So everything belongs to the Lord. Principle number one. Principle number two begins Paul's discussion to the Corinthian church about this offering. In verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. What is he talking about? The grace. Paul uses different words to describe this offering. In fact, nine different words. One of the words most popular is the word grace. But this grace gift he talks about from the Macedonians. So the second principle is this, is that our giving should be motivated by grace. By the very grace that we sang about this morning. The amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Grace that set us free, that broke the chains. That is our motive for giving. is because God has given so freely to us. There in chapter 8, if you skip on down to verses 7 and 9, there he says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, as you excel in speech, as you excel in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He says to the church, don't only grow in these areas, but you need to grow in this area as well. Grow in this grace. Let me ask you this morning, when you write that check, when you put money in the plate, when you give to, to, the, to the church through, through your offering, is it given out of grace? Is it given out of gratitude for what God has done in your life? When you write the check, do you think, God, 
You have been so good to me. You saved me when I didn't deserve it. You made me a new man or a new woman when I didn't deserve it. And this is just one way of obedience to give back to you, to say thank you, God, for your glorious grace. Or does it, I better write the check, but I don't write it now, I forget it. If I don't write my check, God's going to zap me. You see, that's how some people write their checks. That's how some people make their offerings to God. Or it's out of, you know, I want to give to God so that I have good luck. If I don't give to God, God's gonna, God not going to give me good luck. We should be giving out of grace. We should be giving out of gratitude for what God has done in our life. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. What a joy it is to give, to, to give back to God what he's allowed to be a steward of. Principle number three, and I'm going to jump over several verses here because I believe this is one of the top three. The first three principles we look at, this one isn't in order, but I think it's so important that we don't get past this one, we can't even talk about the others. So principle number one, God owns everything. Principle number two, our motive for giving is the grace of God. Principle number three is this, we should first give ourselves to God. That comes first. If, if we try to give to God of our things, of our possessions without first giving ourselves, it is of no value. It's worthless. So skip down to verse 5 of chapter 8. It says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. First they gave themselves to the Lord. If we were to go back and look in, in chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles, one of the passages preceding David's prayer, it said this, that, all, that these people came and they, they rejoiced because they had given with a whole heart. They had offered freely to the Lord. You see, first came their heart. They gave their heart to the Lord. Then they gave their things to the Lord. First comes the heart. First comes who... Who are we serving? Does God have our heart? This idea of they first, it means first in priority, gave themselves to the Lord, Kurios, their Lord, their king, their boss. They first gave to him themselves. The word gave here is in the aorist tense, which means it's a, a, something that happened at one time in the past. So these are people who had given themselves fully, completely to the Lord, and now they're giving of themselves by grace to the Lord, to this offering. It's a similar to what we find in Romans chapter 12, as Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Service of what? Worship. You see, giving ourselves is an act of worship. Giving of our things is an act of worship. I so appreciate what Jason did this morning and not just rushing through the offertory prayer, but he gave some explanation and gave us time to think and to pray. You see, that is an act of worship. We've gotten away from that because of the electronic age. Now everybody gives online. But what we do here is not to, to see how much money we can get in a plate but it's to put it in its proper priority in the church that it is an act of worship to give back to the Lord. 
How many churches have we been in in the last 20, 25 years who do not take an offering anymore? Do you know the main, one reason why they don't? They don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to offend anybody. Or second, it's because it takes too much time out of the service. So we don't want to do that because it takes time out of the service. The third reason is, well, we don't get enough money anyway when we pass the plate, so why do it? Those are the three main reasons why offerings aren't passed in the church anymore. But look at it as an opportunity to worship. God, we're giving back to you. Something Robin and I used to do with our, with our boys, we'd sit on the front row. Now when the plate comes by, I just say, I gave it to the office, right? But when our boys were little, we'd always give them money, a dollar bill or something. And we would say, when the plate comes by, then you put the money in the plate. What were we doing? Teaching them that this is part of their worship. This is part of their giving back to God. You see, first we offer ourselves. Grace is rooted in, in God's, God's amazing grace, but also in our surrender and our response to God. You see, grace offered, grace requires a response. Do we respond to God when he offers us his grace? Oftentimes we respond to salvation. We respond how? With repentance and belief when God's grace is extended. What does Jesus say in Luke 9, 23? Any man that wishes to come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life must lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it for my sake. You see, that's offering of ourself. We're not just joining a club. We're surrendering to our Lord. And we become his slave, we become his subject, he becomes our master, and we follow and obey him. You see, the price that was paid for you and me to even be saved was a high price, amen? It wasn't cheap. Grace may be free, but it's not cheap. We look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, listen to what the scripture says, knowing that you were ransomed. Who? Those of us who have repented and believed the gospel, we have been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but we've been ransomed with the pre precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, we were bought with a price. We were purchased by God's grace. The fourth principle we want to look at this morning is this. Look at verse 2 of chapter 8. For in severe test of affliction, speaking about the churches in Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you catch that, folks? They were not limited by their circumstances. We should not be limited by our circumstances when we give to the Lord. Oh, well, you just don't understand what I'm going through now. Well, God does. We shouldn't let that limit us, the churches in Macedonia. They were going through what? Extreme poverty. The word extreme here comes from a word where we get our word bathosphere. It's kata bathos or bathus. In other words, it means really deep. They weren't just in poverty. They were in really extremely deep poverty. To the bottom of the ocean poverty. And that 
they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. You see, if anybody was hurting, if anybody could have said, well, God, we, we just can't give anything, it would have been the churches in Macedonia. They were in deep, deep poverty. But they did not let that stop them. They didn't let it keep them from participating. The word has been used to describe a beggar who has absolutely nothing to give. They're, they have so they have nothing in their life, no hope of getting anything or giving anything. They have nothing. They're at the bottom. But yet they still gave. Why? Because God owns everything. Because they gave out of grace. And they'd first given themselves to the Lord. Fifth principle. Verses 2 through 4, we see that we should give with joy and enthusiasm. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, Paul's saying begging us earnestly for favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. If you read on down in, in chapter 9 and verse 7, still talking about the same offering, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For the Lord loves a frowning giver, a cheerful giver. They found great joy and enthusiasm in their giving. You know what's interesting about this? They were saying, please let us give. Please let us participate in this offering. Now, I have never heard that in a church. Oh, pastor, can't we participate in this offering? This is so fun. But that's what they were doing. Why? Because they had found the joy of giving. And there was also great fellowship in their giving. They, they wanted to give, uh, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in this offering. It wasn't just that they gave. They wanted to be a part of it. That's a picture of fellowship. They said, we want to partner in this endeavor. We want to help those saints in Jerusalem who are struggling. Our brothers and sisters who need this, we want to be a part of that. Principle number six, also found in verse two, is that they were generous. They gave not only, but they gave beyond, Paul says. They went the extra mile. We should be generous in our giving. Not the attitude of what's going to get me by to check off my box so God doesn't do something to me. We find this in Malachi chapter 3, a, a verse that deals with, with giving in, in the Old Testament. And how God makes a promise there. We find it also in chapter 9 here of 2 Corinthians. Here is, we see this, this promise in chapter 9 in verses 6 through 8. It says, whoever sows sparingly will what? reap sparingly whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully now that's not naming and claiming but that is a promise of god that god will bless those who give now we see that in scripture it's not i give to get but we know that when we give god provides and god blesses each one he says must give as he has decided in his own heart you skip on down to verse 8, for God is able to make all grace, here's that word again, abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God will bless when we do give. And then the seventh principle, that we should give proportionately. We see that again in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 8. 
Verse 3, what does it say? For they gave according to their means. They gave according to their means. Now, folks, hear me this morning. That some people follow the idea or the teaching of a tithe of 10% from the Old Testament. Some people teach a tithe plus. Some people say just give. Now, I'm going to share with you what I believe. And you can take it. You can go to Scripture, look at it. But I'm going to share with you what, what I believe about the tithe and about the offering. I believe we see in the Old Testament an example of 10%. And we ought to follow the 10%. That's what some people say. That ought, to be, that ought to be what we do. We want to follow what the Old Testament teaches. Well, if you do that, I don't have time to explain it, but we can talk about it later. But some believe that when you add up all the tithes and you add up the offerings, the special offerings, it amounts to 23 and a third percent of their income. I've heard as high as 30 percent, 30 plus percent. And so if we want to follow the Old Testament teaching, then what is it? 23 and a third percent. Now that, to me, that, that, is a, that is a line in the sand. We say, okay, that's the measuring mark. That's where we go. We go to 10% or we go to the 23 and a third percent. But here's what I believe. I believe as we look at the laws, look what the Israelites gave. They gave 10% plus the other offerings that were, that were mentioned and that sort of thing. But here, here's what I believe. If I'm a New Testament believer, there's nothing in the New Testament that points me back to that 10%. I don't believe. I haven't found anything. But what I believe is, and I've been taught, is that's the minimum. That's where I start as a, as a guiding rule. Now, I don't think I'm going to be legalistic about that. And here, here's why. Because I believe he says he, they gave according to their what? To their means. Now, we as a church, at least when I was interviewed, they asked the staff if we are tithers, which I take to mean 10%. So your church staff is asked to do that. What if every member in the church, when they signed up, was asked to do that? Probably see a few uh, more empty pews. Okay? But that's the expectation of your staff. Okay? Just want you to know that up front. And so when we think about this, we should give, but we should give proportionately. And I believe there's some liberality here. I believe there's some freedom here that there are people that 10% is a sacrifice. That's sacrificial. But there are other people, 10% is not a sacrifice. Some people, 5% is a sacrifice. Right? Some people, 20% is not a sacrifice. Letourneau from Letourneau College in Longview, you know his story, right? His goal as a follower of Christ was to one day give 90% of his income to the church and live on 10%. And he did that. He reached that goal. He may, may have gone beyond that. You see, he grew in his stewardship. I'm not the one to tell you what to give. That's between you and God. And you pray and you seek the will of the Lord in your life and ask the Lord what you should do and then simply obey. We also see that giving should be sacrificial there in verse 3. The Macedonians, definitely this was a sacrifice. We don't know. It's a good thing we don't know what they gave. But they were obedient to the Lord and they gave and it was a sacrifice according to Paul. 
And so that would be a test. If we're trying to grow in our faith and grow in our discipleship, that's a question we might should ask ourselves at the beginning of every year. Lord, how do you want me to grow to become more sacrificial in my giving? And trust the Lord to give you the answer. Husbands, don't make that decision by yourself. Wives, don't make that decision by yourself. As husband and wife, you get together, you pray, you seek the Lord, and you make that decision as a couple. I've seen some pretty good discussions and had to counsel with people that wanted to make that decision. Well, he didn't tell me we were going to do that, or she didn't tell me we were going to do that. Let it be a growth thing for your marriage as you grow together and talk about what does God want our house to do. Ninth is it should be done voluntarily. Look at, look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means. I can testify. You skip over to chapter, chapter 9. Again in chapter 9 it talks about they did not give reluctantly or under compulsion. Nobody should force you to give anything. Nobody should demand of you to give anything. My parents grew up in a fundamental independent Baptist church in Fort Worth, Texas, where the pastor would stand. When they would take the offering in the morning, they would count the offering. If it wasn't enough, they would come back and take another offering. And they did it with a washtub. This wasn't a little church. One Sunday school class probably had more people than what's in this room this morning. It wasn't a small church. My dad was a lost church member. He had, been, he had gotten wet, but he'd never gotten saved. And that was his impression of churches and pastors, was all they would care about is the offering. No one should compel us in that way to, to give, make us be under compulsion. They chose what to give. They were not coerced, forced. They were not manipulated. They were not intimidated. They were not bribed. They were not coddled. They were not promised anything in return. I remember a church in Shreveport, Louisiana, who had a banquet every year for the top 10% of the givers. That's a bribe. That's not asking people to give. And it was a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church. But they gave out of their hearts. They gave, we should give voluntarily, and then finally, we should give systematically. You say, why systematically? Because that's a discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in verse 12, it says, now concerning, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong passage there. We find in 16 verses 1 and 2, back up a little bit. It says, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do, on the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up that he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And so when was it? It was the first of every week when they came together. There was systematic giving. Now, folks, can I say something to you with with all my heart? This comes from my heart. Is we give first, I believe, to the church. We see that, I think, throughout the scriptures. We see that in Acts 2 as they brought money in. In Acts 4, as property was sold, they brought it and put it at the apostles' feet. It was to be used for the local church. Let me ask you a question. If everybody gave at the same percentage you gave... How long would the church doors be open? 
We don't give in comparison to other people, but let, just let me ask you, ask you that. There are people that give to the church and all they do is give to designated causes. When that happens, if everybody did that, we couldn't pay the electric bill. We give to the church. We give trusting. We give stewarding what God has provided for us. Should we give to other things? Yes, if the Lord leads. But I believe first and foremost, our offerings should come to the local church. And then other offerings later. And so I I just want to encourage you. I believe in most churches, if most churches... The average church member gave 3 to 5%. The church would have more money than they knew what to do with. They, there would not be any lack in the church if that were the case. I don't know where God wants you to start. Here, here's my challenge to you. If you're not giving, start somewhere. Ask the Lord what you should do and start and watch him bless your life. You will never, ever outgive God. Do you know who I learned tithing or stewardship from, proper stewardship? My wife. Before we were married, I watched her in college. We'd go to church and she would write a check and put it in an envelope. And, and I was like, where are you getting that money? You're a nursing student. Uh, where's that coming from? You're not working. But she said based on what her father would they would give her to get her through the month. She, from that money, she would tithe off of that money. And I said, what does that mean? And back then she said, well, that was 10% of whatever my father gave me, I would give to the church. And I learned, I watched her systematically give. I forget if it was weekly or monthly, she would give to the church. We got married, that wasn't even a question. And we sought to grow in our giving. I wish I could say that we have every year been very successful about that. We have not. But we need to. We need to grow in our giving. Every believer needs to be growing in their giving and in their stewardship. So as we close this morning, let me take you back to points one and through three. Can we agree this morning that God owns everything? Can, Can we agree this morning that our giving should be motivated by the grace of God in our life? And then third, can we agree that we have to first give of ourselves before we give anything else? You see, I've met people before that were so at the bottom that you know what they brought? They brought a chicken to the church. They brought eggs to the church. They brought fruit to the church because that's all they could do and that was a sacrifice for them. What is a sacrifice for each of us? Something we have to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what am I doing? Is this really a sacrifice? And will you respond to that? Will you ask the Lord what you should do? That we might glorify him in everything. Father, thank you this morning for your amazing grace. Grace so amazing, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see because you opened my eyes, because you saved my soul. And Father, may my life be a testimony of just a PS to say thank you for what you did in my life. Oh God, move in our heart as a church that we would learn to abide in Christ that we would learn to be a people of prayer. That 
we would truly be a praying church. And that, Father, we would be a church that gives hilariously, with joy, not reluctantly. And sits back and says, "What? let's see what God will do. As we obey, we steward our time, we steward our possessions, we steward our finances. That, God, you would do something great in this place. Help those who are seeking and asking what to do. Father, I pray you would answer their prayer, that you would show them, you would teach them how to be grace givers for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more, visit us at nbbchurch.org.